0: My name is Heath, I'm the lead pastor here at REACH, and we are finishing up our Core Value series today. Uh, if you missed any of those and are interested, they are online, um, so you can go and listen to them. We actually have a podcast too that you can subscribe to, um, usually gets uploaded on Monday, so all the previous ones will be on there. But um, just to give you kind of a highlight of where we have been, uh, we started out talking about the reality that without the presence of God, we are hopeless. There is no church without the presence of God. There is no transformation without the presence of God. There is no life with Christ without the presence of God, and we are dependent on the presence of God. Uh, and the second week we had, uh, Alan here share the reality that the Word of God is the basis for everything that we do. The Word of God is our power. It is where we look to for understanding. It is where we look to for guidance. And basically where we get the reality of everything else that we've talked about being the presence of God. We know about the presence of God because of the Word of God. Uh, week three we talked about the reality that Without authentic relationships, we are going to be sidelined. We need other people. We are created by a God that exists in community. And He created us in His image, so we have this inward desire to live in community. And if we can live in an authentic community with other believers, we are going to be better Christians, better fathers, better husbands, and just better people uh last week, we talked about the reality that if we are going to be a church, we are going to need to focus on the next generation. Uh, but we put a spin on that a little bit. Hopefully, everybody uh, is back here this week and going to be like, man, the church is not going to take care of my kids. It's not what we said. Uh, the reality is, is that God has given you the ability to disciple and your train your kids. And our core value in that is to do everything in our power to help you be the best parent that you can so that you can disciple and train your children. Uh, Because we get your children for about uh, 45 minutes to an hour to teach them the gospel. They are hearing the word of God. They are memorizing scripture. And we're going to do everything in our power. But at the end of the day, you're the one that gets to spend the time with them. And we want to invest in you so that you can invest in them. And the last today, we're going to talk about this idea of community transformation slash outreach. And it's something that, you know, if you're going to be a church and you don't have outreach and you don't think about outreach and you're probably not really doing what God has called you to do because he gave us a declaration in the beginning that we are to reach our world. And so my one thing today is that community transformation, if we're going to do that, if we're going to say that it's in our it's our core value to do this and we're going to set out to make that happen, community transformation is going to happen one person at a time, period. Our effort is going to love people in this community through you, one person at a time. And as we see the gospel and the presence of God transform that person, it will transform their community. It will transform their lives so on and so forth so this is what uh it says if you look at all our core values on line it says this it says community transformation happens best in community our heart is to train our people to be agents of change in the places that god has placed them in their work environments in their neighborhoods in their spheres of influence we will use our community groups to share the gospel and to see life changed in our city, our nation, and our world through practical ministries that meets people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. It is our desire to see life change happen, and we believe, just because one of our other core values that we just stated a second ago, that relationships help cultivate that. That we're going to serve and see Jesus lifted high by how we love people, by how we share the gospel with people, and by our day-in, day-out lives. So here, here's my little intro. My paper says intro. I don't know what that was before this, but this is my intro. Yeah, pre-intro. Thank you. This is not someone else's job. So when we talk about outreach, when we talk about changing our community, a lot of times, because this is... You know, if you thought uh, last week, which last week was probably the hardest one, if you're a parent, it is the hardest job you will ever have. But this is a hard job that we can easily step back from because these people aren't going to come into our house like our children are. They're not going to be there in the morning asking for breakfast. Hopefully not. Uh, maybe you've got that type of neighborhood that they're just there in the morning like, hey, what are we having? That's super weird. Um, but, you know, to each his own. But it is the job of every single son or daughter of the king. Which we're going to look at that text specifically. It's commanded to reach the world with the gospel. We cannot wait for the church to do it. Because the church's primary goal is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not to say that we won't do outreach, not to say that we as a church won't participate in this, but it is our goal to equip you, to inspire you and to encourage you to be the change agent in your world. So we want to remind you that if you are a son or daughter of the king, you have been commissioned into the work that we're talking about today. And like last week, this is not something that will come easy. It is not something that you can do once and be done with it and say, I've done outreach. It is a lifestyle that you will have to commit to. It won't happen fast and it won't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. So by saying that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, my goal is not to guilt people into loving others. My goal is not to shame people into loving others and to sharing the gospel. My goal is to encourage them to be what you've created them to be, emissaries of your grace and your mercy, being your hands and feet in this world. So, Lord, I pray as the word is read, as scripture is grown through, as we point Each other to our responsibility. Lord, I pray that you would sideline guilt or shame, but you would bring in a confidence that we are not sharing ourselves, but we are sharing you. And Lord, your word says that you will give us strength to do the things that you've called us to do. Your word says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. And that's what we rest on this morning, not our knowledge not our wisdom not our ability to love properly but on you so as we unfold your word i pray that you would you would pour out in us a desire to be what you've called us to be and we pray these things in jesus name amen the call of every disciple is written in matthew 28:19 through 20 not something that churches did so that they could grow, so that they could one day get out of a senior center. Because they have enough people and they would have enough money and they could build a building. That is not the purpose of church. I like the senior center. It's very nice. I mean, we're, we're stepping up. Like, I don't know. Those that were with us in the middle school, like, just thank your lucky stars that right now you're sitting on a cushion chair. Because those little folding chairs... Super uncomfortable. I was almost thankful to preach because I got to stand up and not sit in them. They weren't that bad, but they were pretty bad. But this is the purpose that, you know, God is, He had done all the work that He was going to do through His Son, and His Son has given His life on the cross so that we could be set free, so that we could have life, so that we could walk into this new kingdom that He had designed for us. And he showed the power of his own personal resurrection. And he's leaving them and telling them this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us, he is the reason why we have the ability to do this. And in the, in the cool thing about this, and I think sometimes we take just 19, go through, go therefore, and make disciples of the nations, and we leave out 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Going back to that reality that reaching our world, changing our world, is not a one-stop shop. It is not a like I go out and I've shared the gospel and they've said yes to Jesus and our job is done. The gospel is to make disciples, not converts. A disciple is someone that enters into, learns about the Savior that they've just committed their life to. And that takes time. And that takes people committed to that person. And that is the job of every one of us who said yes to Jesus. It's not someone else's responsibility. It is ours. So here's another thing, I'm going to be in, if you're reading along in the One Year Bible, you read this a couple weeks ago or a week ago, Jeremiah 29, everybody knows kind of 29:11 and all that stuff. You know, I know the plans I have for you, which some of us take for granted and some of us take out of context. Well, there was, there was a conversation that happened before that, but before I can get there, I just want to make sure in the New Testament you understand that we're still in the same position that they were because they were in exile, they had been taken away, they were living in a foreign land, and and God gives them a command that we're going to talk about today. He gives them, you know, through the prophet Jeremiah, he tells them what they should do while they're in exile, and you have to understand that if you are a child of God, if you've entered into this new kingdom, you've not left this world because you're still here, but this world ceases to be your home, and this idea comes from lots of different areas but in 1 Peter 2 verse 11 it says behold beloved sorry beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against you so he's telling you it to his children it, you're you're exiles you're in a place i urge you to abstain that you are In another reality that this isn't your home, Philippians three, 20 and 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And he's telling us here that this is not our home. The danger is that if we get too comfy, cozy in our world, doing our thing, then we will live this life like it is our only life. That we will base all our effort and our energy and our money to make this section of our reality, this section of our eternity, the only thing that we're hoping for. And he's telling them here that we are sojourners. Even though this is our country, this is our home, this is where we live, we are not supposed to be at home here. Because this is not the thing that we're waiting to happen. This is a preparation for the thing that we hope for. So Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4, he, he has this. And so let me, let me just lead you through So the people of Israel, even though they had seen the power of God take them out of Egypt, even though they had seen the the miraculous and all these things, they faded from their loyalty to the king. They they forgot about him. They started worshipping other gods. They started living their own life, doing their own thing, and God sent them away into exile into Babylon which you know we've talked about um Babylon before Babylon is used for reference to basically kind of the world that we're in and it's you know it was a society then but it's kind of a kind of a state of being and they've been taken into exile into this foreign land and and they were getting prophets before this that were coming in and 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 prophesying that only two more years and we're going to go home and, you know, and, and God's going to break the yoke of Babylon and we're going to be free, even though Jeremiah, the prophet, had said, no, we're going to be here for a long time. And he actually prophesied against them like, you're going to die for this prophecy. But they keep on prophesying, prophesying things that God's going to rescue and redeem them now in the immediate when he hadn't. And So this is kind of where they're at. Because you'll hear him talk about in just a second, don't let your prophets and your diviners, don't let these people tell you any different. So here, here in verse 4, you start. And this is what God's telling the people of Israel that have been separated. They're out of their home. They're living in a foreign land that doesn't worship their God and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let there be no question about it. God put them in that place. And this is what he tells them. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So he's telling them that in this exiled land, live your life. Like, do the things that you should be doing. Build houses, grow gardens, have children, get married Let your children get married and your sons and daughters and have grandchildren there. Now, he's saying these because he knows that they're going to be there for a while. But he's saying, don't give up living. Because you're waiting to be rescued, live in this city, he's telling them to live in this foreign land, live a normal life without forgetting the things that God has called you to do. And then he tells them, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. He's telling them, hey look, don't forget to live your life. Don't forget to do all the things that you need to do to live. To have a house, to have food, to have family. He said, but in that, don't forget that I've sent you there to be different." He sent them to seek the welfare of the city, because in seeking the welfare of the city, they get blessed. Look, I'm telling you, uh, over the last month and a half, it has been amazing to see people get out of their comfort zone and love people that they don't even know. For no profit, for, for, for no gain. Just literally to say, hey, we're in this together. We're in the same community. We're going to help. And I, I love having the conversations uh, with people about their neighborhood. How, you know, people that they haven't even really had conversations with yet are like sharing stuff and raking each other's yards and taking stuff off. I mean, that's what the kingdom is supposed to be like. That we would see a need and need it. That we would do everything in our power to love other people just because. Because God's called us to seek the welfare of the city. What if we, because here's the dilemma as the church, as individuals, that we can get so caught up in living and life is stressful. I don't know if you guys know that. Work is stressful. Like, I've not met many people that are like, man, tomorrow's Monday. I'm going to work. I just cannot wait to get to work, and I cannot wait to, like, maybe I'll work late, and I won't get paid extra. I mean, you know, maybe after work, my kids will, like, yell at me. I mean, like, life is difficult. I left the husband and wife thing out. I just don't want to stir the pot too much. But life is difficult. So it's, he, he's saying, look, don't forget to do the normal. But don't forget in doing the normal, but the normal is not what you're called there to do. It's just part of your life. The drama, the dilemma is that we can get so caught up in everything else that we have no time for doing anything else than what benefits us for what we need to do. And I'm not saying, hey, don't, don't take care of home, don't do things. But you need to build into your life an ability or a margin to love other people. Cuz I believe our greatest way and I'm not this is not a hey let's just serve people and never preach the gospel. That is that is not my intent of today. But we need to do a lot of serving, a lot of loving for them to hear the gospel cuz we live in the south and everybody here has heard some version of the gospel. They know something about the gospel It doesn't mean they know the gospel it doesn't mean they've been taught it correctly, but they've heard it. And most of those that heard it that aren't in church right now, they don't like it. Because we as the church and I'm just throwing us all in there universally, don't take offense to this. We have polluted the message over and over again. We have shown them over and over again of, <clears throat> as churches fall from grace, churches, pastors, is they get caught doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and they realize that they're just human beings like everyone else. And so we have to, as the church, serve people continually so they can see that our heart is for them. That our, our mission isn't just to get one more, like, check in the box of like, yes, introduced another person to Jesus, and like I got like a little knock. That's weird. Um. Some other way, I don't know how you would keep record of it, you know, mark it in your prayer journal. But to literally say, hey, I'm, I'm there. I'm interested in just being your neighbor. I'm interested in just doing nice things for you so that when the opportunity arises, which is our end goal, I think sometimes we, we jump on that opportunity too soon. You need know, to be completely honest, my first thing, when we moved here, we built a house on a road that there weren't other houses at, not on purpose, just the lot that we liked. And they have built houses over the last six years that we've lived in the neighborhood all around us. My first thing that I do is not tell them that I'm a pastor. Like, I don't walk over there and be like, Reverend Cadell here at your service. If you need any clergy-related stuff, I'm at, you know, your disposal, you know, pet funerals and all that stuff. Um... Your Frog Died, I'm here. Um I, I don't lead with that because, in my opinion, or by my experience, when I lead with that, I get a wall. I get shut down because they have something that tells them what I am before they get to know me. And so, almost always, I start with just, hey, me and my wife, and we have kids, and blah, blah, blah. Unless they ask me, I don't lie about it. Like, I don't make up some, like... Fancy word that doesn't sound like pastor. I'm in the people business. But I want to love and serve as is needed. Like, and this is the beauty of where we're at right now. And there's still so much need in our city that we can go and consistently love on people and show them over and over again that we're here because we're part of the community sharing the burden of what's going on. And I believe that as we do that consistently, and this is what we see Jesus did over and over again. He didn't just start with the gospel. Now, He's God, and He perfectly did it. We're going to screw things up a little bit. But, you know, God, by His grace, is going to get us where we need to be. But He met people where they're at. and He loved people. He didn't want them or allowed them to stay there. Almost every conversation that He ended with, like, go and sin no more, like, leave this behind. But he did something for them that opened them up to him. He did an act of kindness for them, whether it be a healing, whether it be some little thing. It wasn't little for them, but he opened the gospel to them. And and he did that very, I mean, that was kind of his M.O. Like he, he wasn't, it wasn't always Sermon on the Mount Day where he's preaching you know, his longest sermon, it, it was like literally meeting people's need. Because I believe as we meet people's need, we open up an area that the gospel can go into. That I believe is closed outside of those things. And here they are, separated in the city. And, and God told them through Jeremiah, they were going to be there for 70 years. Not to, like the lying prophet told them. But they were going to be there for 70 years in this city. And he said, I want you while you're in this city to seek the welfare of the city. Because as you seek the welfare of the city, it will benefit you. And let me just tell you, the more people we get living for Jesus. Notice I'm not saying Christian here. But the more people we get living for Jesus in a city, it will change. It will be a city that you want to be in. Because... True Christianity, true discipleship leads people to live for something else that's not themselves. And most of our issue with our world is that we're battling other people for stuff, for title, for accolades, where the gospel is upside down. The last will be first and the first will be last. It changes Everything, because we have our treasure. So we're not seeking after a treasure that isn't going to make us happy. It changes us. And as we do that in our community, it changes everything. Matthew 22, it's not going to be on the screen, verse 39. It says, after he tells them uh, the part of the verse that we read over uh, last week in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your... Mind he, he goes into verse 39 and he says, and the second is like this, still in the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's the welfare of the city that he's talking about. Like, what if we literally loved our neighbor and we learn from um, the Good Samaritan story, if you remember that, That our neighbor is anybody that we come in contact with. It's not like, well, I like my neighbor. I like my cul-de-sac. Those people are all good. I don't want to go outside of that. Our neighbor is anybody we come in contact with. What if we treated our neighbor like ourselves? I think we would let a lot more people into traffic. It sounded funnier in my head. (laughs) Evidently, y'all don't struggle with that. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. After you, oh, no. Come on. Continues on in verse 8. He says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they have dreamed, for it is a lie. That they are prophesying to you in my name. I do not send them, declares the Lord. Because they were telling them something that they, could you imagine the reality that God has said you're going to be in the city for 70 years, you're going to be exiled for 70 years, and someone else comes to you and said, oh, no, 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 it's coming in two years, no big deal. Would your life be different if you thought it was two years away versus 70 years away? The way you treated the city that you were in would be completely different. Because if you don't think you're going to stay there, it's just like a hotel room. Night, like, you know, you're there, you're like, oh, I'm not picking that blanket up. You know, like you don't have to do any of those things because someone else is going to take care of it. But when it's your place, when you're going to be there for 70 years, it changes your life. And to be completely honest, when my wife and I, Jody, moved here to the city, we came here to die. I don't mean like soon. (laughs) They're like, this is a morbid church. He's going to kill himself. I don't like it. No, no. We came here to spend the rest of our life loving one city. And by the grace of God, I'll do that. Because it changes my perspective of how we're going to love. And we spent four and a half years in a middle school and I love, I mean, we wouldn't have had a place to meet if it wasn't for Leland Middle School. And I love the relationships that were built at that school. I love, this. tomorrow morning I'm going to go, we're still supplying, we haven't been in their school for a year, in three months, we're still supplying all the coffee, creamer, sugar, um, stirrers, coffee filters for all their teachers. So I'm taking a... A load tomorrow and you know what it doesn't benefit there's not one LMS teacher in here and that's okay because you know what for six years that we've shown LMS and they didn't have a good church experience previous to us that the church loves them and we got to go through some of the most heartbreaking stuff with some of the employees that had life-altering, scenarios that happen. Our, the one head custodian there, his wife got diagnosed with cancer almost immediately when we went in there. And we loved her and the family and gave gas cards because they had to go to Chapel Hill, provided Thanksgiving, went to the hospital, and she loved Jesus, by the way. Prayed with them, and we, over all of those years, like when we left, the day we were pulling out, the last Sunday we were meeting at LMS, he was closing the gate behind me and he gave him a big hug. And he said, if it doesn't work out over there, he's like, you're always welcome here. This is the same man who was wounded by the previous church. Totally changed his perspective. And it's because we're in the long game. And you got to look at this in the long... Like, if, if you tire out, this is not the thing that we're going to tire out on. This is something that for the rest of our ministry, for the rest of our lives... It is our responsibility as the church to encourage you to love your world and to love Jesus so much that it comes up in conversation. Because as we love Jesus, as we understand what He's done us for done for us, it changes us. Like if you're a different person right now because Jesus. It becomes the testimony that you get to share with someone else. Romans 10 um, verses 14 and 15. Our world needs Jesus. It is the transformation that will change everything. It will radically transform our world. And it is broken. And I think sometimes we can look at our broken world... And we can say it's too broken. God isn't. We wouldn't say this, but we think this. God's not capable of changing this. And let me just tell you. Read the Gospels again. I mean, broken marriages. The woman had been married five times. And the Samaritan woman that wasn't with her husband now. Radically transform life. I'm sure she was at the well in the middle of the day because she didn't want to see the other women. Radically transform lives over and over again. In the early church, read Acts 2. A church that's willing to give everything to see the community rise changes. Look at this. Uh, Romans 10, verses 14 through 15. It says, How then... Will they call on him whom they have never, whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are invested in seeing the gospel transform our city and our region. It's One reason why they're not in here right now, I'll brag on them, why I'm super excited for Daniel and Samantha, a.k.a. the beard and his wife. I don't have a fun name for Samantha, but Daniel and Samantha are going to be moving to Little River, South Carolina and starting a new church. And we're excited about that. I mean, I hate to, I love... Daniel, Samantha. I love the team members that are going with them. But we're excited for what the gospel will do in Little River, South Carolina. Because this is our mission to send. And I just want to commission you guys. I want to invite our worship team back up. And I know that in your mind right now, because it's in my mind, that you're thinking, oh, I don't know enough. Or I'm not sure what they're going to say. Or I'm not sure how to respond to this or how to respond to that. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. All I'm asking you to do is to commit to begin to love people like Jesus loved you. All we're asking for you is not for you to come up here next week and preach a sermon. But I am asking you to begin to look in the world that God has deposited you in, in the neighborhood that he's put you in, in the school that you may be in, in the um, workplace that you may be in, or the social groups that you're in, and begin to ask yourself, what has God called me to do here? Because if we're not careful, we will just be in those things and do the things, and we'll forget that God is working out His end to His return now. And that we want as many people as possible to willingly take a knee, because everybody's going to take a knee. They will all bow to Jesus when He returns. We want people that worship when they take a knee. And that will not happen without those. Who are sent. And I just want to tell you that if you've never heard this before from a church you've been in, you are sent as a gospel proclaimer into your sphere. No longer can you sit on the sideline and wait for someone else to do it, you are sent. See, here's, here's the thing here in this is laced in everything that we've co- covered in our core value without God. It's impossible. Without the presence of God, without him stirring us, it's not possible. And here's the beauty of it. Without God changing the heart of the person that you're going to have a conversation with. Without God doing that, it won't happen. So take some of the pressure off of you and just be obedient. Read the word, because when you read the word, it is amazing how many times that during your day or week or month, something that you have read will just stir to the forefront of going, oh, my gosh, this is just like this. And you get to share. Now, if you don't ever read the word and you just try to store some of these ridiculous things that I say at times on Sunday morning. And that's all you get. Then you're going to go, what do I say to people? But if you're in the word, if you're connecting to him in prayer, if you're asking for help from the Holy Spirit, then God will give you what and when to say. That's the beauty. We're going to have, uh, I think, 12 people come through experiencing God soon. At the end of experiencing God, they're going to realize that God's always working, will always be working, and he's just waiting for us to participate in what he's already doing. And that's what I'm asking you to do. God's stirring in this city. I believe that there is a great move of God going to come to this area. There's too many church plants. There's too many people starting churches here in this area for me not to believe that God wants to start something here. So let's be proactive. Let's act like we're here for another 70 years and treat our city like it's our city. Treat our neighbors and our neighborhoods like they are what God has called us to do. So I just encourage you as we go into this last song. I don't just like I said for my first prayer. I'm not here to guilt you. No one in this church is keeping record of what you're doing. Here's a little guilt. God is. Um, <laughs> But He's long-suffering, super-merciful, loves you, knows your weaknesses, still called you into the kingdom, still gave you life, still gave you an inheritance, and He believes in you more than we do. Because He's perfect. And so I just encourage you, as we go back into worship, if you need to sit there for a few minutes, if you need to like ask the Holy Spirit, who is it? I believe during this next few minutes that God's going to in your brain, give you people that he wants you to begin to love on and encourage. And let me let me just give you, this is maybe a no-brainer. Maybe not. If you're a guy, those names should be guy names. If you're a girl, those names should be girl names. And if they're not, unless they're in a nursing home, we want, because here, if we're in the long game, we want a disciple. And it's, I would not say it is a good thing for us to disciple someone of the opposite sex. Period. Just going to throw that out there. If we get that name and we start loving on them and encouraging them, long game. Are you going to be there through the seasons? Through the life to lead and guide them? And not saying that you're connected to this person forever. I've been discipled and trained by so many different people. It's like, You know, when when one leaves, God provides another. But do your part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that right now that we take breath, that we're alive enough to consciously understand what's going on, to hear your word. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit in us would give us boldness and confidence to believe That he, not I, has the power to transform those around me. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us new ears to hear your whisper. To hear you calling us into the life. Lord, I thank you for people like Jeremiah who boldly stood against a world that was against him. And proclaimed a truth. That had the power to transform a city. So Lord I pray that we would see ourselves as exiles. But not exiles that are going to be here and go. But that we would be exiles for years. Always living in a foreign land before we see you face to face. And Lord I pray that we would see our, our new world. Our new kingdom that you're going to. To provide for us as we enter into your resurrection after we leave this body. Would I pray that you would allow us to see that so clearly right now that it shapes what we do this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, this week. And Lord, I pray that you would give names, that you would give us wisdom to lead your people that you've called us to minister to. And Lord, for anybody in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that there would be grace and mercy. There you might be thinking, I don't, can't reach out to somebody I need to be reached out to. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would allow them to see the grace that they have access to through your death and resurrection on the cross, that they would see their sin for what it is. Something that separates them from the love and grace and mercy, but you came And fix that. And Lord, I pray that this morning that our our belief would not just be fixed in knowledge, but that our belief would radically transform us. Lord, I pray for just a heart transplant. Like Ezekiel said, I pray that you would remove the heart of stone, that you would put a heart of flesh so that we can serve you. Lord, we thank you for worship and the ability to sing and Praise your name, and I pray as we do that, that you would change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.